Hello, and welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for listening. The Organic Wine Podcast has a new website. It's quite imaginatively located at organicwinepodcast.com. We have the last couple months of episodes posted, and we're in the process of creating pages for every past episode. So check it out if you want to see all of the great content that has been on the Organic Wine Podcast. As part of this, I just want to say I try to be a thoughtful and ecological business person as well as wine grower and winemaker. So I think about the impact and the values implicit in using any business or service. Because of that, I'm a very reluctant user of social media. I intend to gradually eliminate my participation on those platforms. So I'm asking those of you listening to go to organicwinepodcast.com and sign up for the email list. We will never give, sell, trade, or otherwise move your email or any information to anyone else besides us. And we will not start emailing you daily with spammy sales messages. So please join the email list without worry at organicwinepodcast.com. My guests for this episode are Aaron and Holly Pohala, the owners of Vineyard Innovations in Ohio. Aaron and Holly met in school where they both studied chemical engineering. This chemical romance blossomed into a life where they breed new varieties of grapes that the world has never seen before. These varieties are cold hardy and disease resistant as well as delicious. They've been at this for 20 years now and have a handful of varieties to share with the world, as well as some really great ideas about how to make grape breeding a profitable venture for more people. But I want to let their own words from their website serve as a really great introduction to this conversation. There is a quiet revolution happening in the world of wine. Growers everywhere are facing the realities of a changing climate and considering replacing their established wine grape varieties with others that are more suited to the challenges of modern viticulture. At the same time, consumers facing a sea of sameness are seeking out new and exciting wines crafted by artisans with passionate focus on creating quality wines with authenticity of place. Perhaps never before has the table been set more perfectly for the emergence of new grape varieties that answer the needs and desires of both wine grower and consumer. At Vineyard Innovations, we create new wine grape varieties having resistance to the extremes of climate and disease pressure that are perfectly suited to sustainable, organic, and biodynamic viticulture practices. Exciting aroma and flavor combinations are paving the way for the emergence of iconic wines that will open the door to the exploration of new terroirs that today are unreachable. Welcome to a new world of wine. I couldn't have said it better. Enjoy. Welcome, guys. (laughs) Thanks for doing this. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Adam. Can you can you introduce yourselves and say where you are and in, in the sure. world right now? Yeah, sure. We are uh, so uh, Aaron and Holly Pahala, right? And we are in uh, we're in Ohio. So uh, you... home is uh, home is in Northeast Ohio in Kent, and uh, our fantastic. Kent. Yeah, our, our vineyard operation is in Geneva, Ohio, Harpersfield Township in the uh, Grand River Valley. And when you say okay, Geneva is really famous in New York for breeding. And as it turns out, you are doing that in Ohio, in Geneva. Is that right? right. Is so, that what you say? The base of operations? Is- <laughs> so, so it's funny. So different Geneva, right? Geneva, New right. York, Geneva, Ohio. But yeah. Yeah, that is. I mean, maybe we should just make that a trend maybe Every now. state needs Geneva. <laughs> every and every state. Reading, every state should be in Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like there are Genevas in every state. No, I'm not sure, sure, right? Probably. It feels like. There's like a Paris, Texas. There's probably a Paris in every state. I mean, who knows? But um, 
you it's, and this is why we want to talk about the, the great breeding not the not geneva um <laughs> but both of you guys are doing this on the side right at the moment this is this sure. is not your full-time thing right. can you talk yeah i mean do you guys want to talk about your life and how this this operation fits into it and and what the name of it is by the way i feel sure yeah. Yeah. So, yeah so the so the name of the operation is, is vineyard innovations uh we we you know we, we named the company you know formalized that about maybe about 10 years ago yeah. um 2010 uh, 2010 yeah so a little mm-hmm. over 10 years ago uh, but we've been you know breeding wine grapes for you know for over tw- you know over 20 years now so it's 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 interesting so yeah so this is a this is not a not a full-time venture for us uh right now um my my career um that you know that started you know since i graduated from from college you know chemical engineer we actually met in school uh, as chemical engineers at the University of Akron, but uh, I've been in the the rubber and the tire industry for my whole career, uh, and still am. Um, but uh, but but great breeding is is something that uh, has really taken you know taken a hold of of, of all our free time. <laughs> so you, you ask how do we fit it in? It's like well, just barely. <laughs> but now were you both chemical engineers? Is that did I yeah, get that both right? Yeah, yes. we, we we met in school. Uh, wild university of akron yeah mm-hmm. that ties so closely in with breeding i mean i'm not sure if it does at all but it seems like there is a uh you could make an excuse for anything right so do you, what is <laughs> yeah what is the mindset that you you need for breeding like and does chemical engineering at all help yeah so i i think the you know kind of the, the background there you know chemical chemical engineering um, is something that's obviously very tied to, to to the wine industry, right? There's a lot of chemical engineering in the wine industry, but I think if you if you kind of take another step back and just look at our you know our backgrounds and and our families, so we we both come from from families where you know our fathers were were very much uh, you know gardeners, right? Mm. So, so my dad was a big time gardener. Holly's dad was a big time gardener, right? And we kind of raised that way. Um, love love growing things. Um, and so, so I think that, that connection to, uh, the, the love of growing things and then, and then the, the chemistry connection and, 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 and the processing connection, you know, through chemical engineering really, really makes the wine, you know, the wine industry specifically something that's just incredibly, you know, incredibly attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we got into, uh, you know, the interest in, in wine kind of early in our, in our married life, we, Neither one of us were really exposed to exposed to wine so much growing up. Right. Um, you know, my, my my exposure was probably as as I mentioned to you when we talked before, really limited to uh, you know a sip out of a glass on special occasions. You know, with, with my parents, right. you know, at holidays, and, and and then it was you know typically you know so, some 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 blue nun or or black tower that, <laughs> that my my grandparents <laughs> picked up to have with you know, with ham or stuffed cabbage or something, you know, coming from a Hungarian family. Wow. So not, not a whole lot of exposure. My family didn't drink at all. So I really didn't have any exposure to wine at all. So um, that was something that Aaron and I both discovered together, you know, and uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to, yeah, just try We went out, tried a bottle of wine and, and uh, like, oh, this is good. And uh, just kind of, <laughs> kind of spiraled from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, so, 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 so very, very limited. Right. And then uh, the, the wine that kind of got us in, into wine, um, was, was actually a 1994, uh, Eberly Viognier. 
So oh, wow. you can imagine, you know, 1994 vintage, uh, you know, California, uh, Viognier. Yeah. Uh, first exposure to something like that when your only experience really has been, you know, really, really, really inexpensive kind of Riesling, right? <laughs> mm, good point, um, right? I just, I just remember, you know, tasting that wine and then, and then realizing how, how is this possible? You know, how can something be, you know, be so thick? Uh, and, you know, so viscous and, and taste almost sweet, even though it wasn't, uh, it was such a departure from what, uh, what I had experienced before. And that really kind of drew me in and drew both of us in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started, you know, tasting a lot more wines. We kind of, you know, constantly going out and trying different things, uh, making it a point to bring something different home, you know, you know, from the store and, and, and try it. And, uh, you know, before too long, there was a significant interest, you know, developed for us, you know, how, how can we, how can we become part of this? Right. And, yeah. and that was honestly a challenge, right? Cause you know, here we are living in Northeast Ohio, you know, all these, all these fantastic, you know, wines that we're, that we're trying they're you know, for the most part, they're for, they're from the West coast or they're from, you know, from France or Italy or somewhere. Um, you know, we tried some wines from, from around here and some we liked, some we didn't honestly. Um, yeah. But my mind, you know, immediately went to, you know, how can we do this? Um, you know, my, 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 my day job is, is, you know, I told you it's in the, in the rubber and the tie industry, but, but at heart, I'm an inventor, right? I'm an innovator. That's, that's, that's what I do. I, I head up, you know, R&D teams, uh, teams of people who are, who are developing new products, developing new things, uh, typically through chemistry. Um, but always, always it's an, an innovative approach, um, uh, and for me, the way, you know, the way my mind works is as soon as I learn something new that catches my interest, my mind immediately goes to how can I do it better, right? Yeah. Or, or what hasn't been done with this? Well, and, this, and can this ties I into, uh, this was a question that I had when you guys tasted that Viognier, that Everly Viognier. Did you seek every piece of information you could find about how it was made afterwards, like to try to deconstruct it? Or Definitely. did you... Yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely digging. And, and honestly, right. at that point, you know, that was the beginning of the learning. You know, right. It wasn't like it wasn't like we already had this information and this knowledge about winemaking that you know we were just learning. You know, hearing some little tips and tricks about how that particular wine was made. It how was, did you find? What, like, to what extent did you research that? Like, did you call the winery and try to talk? No, to I didn't. No, I wouldn't say we went to any you know any depth like that. But it, okay, you know, it really kind of began. You know. Um, the you know, launching point, I guess. It, it was really the launching point. Yeah, mm-hmm. good, good way to say it. Yeah. Um, so, in exploring winemaking in general, and specifically yes. how somebody might make a Viognier or how, uh, you know, yeah, that kind right. of thing. Yes. So, yes. lots of I mean, and I, and books and 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 just mm, kind of immersing immersing our, ourselves into into whatever we can find. And I I just you know want to point out I think it's important in a way to mention the kind of wine that drew you in, which is, am I, do you still like that kind of wine is my next question. Definitely. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, I, th- I feel like, well, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have been surprised by either yes or no in response to that, because I just feel like, I think the, the wine that I fell in love with or made me, you know, that did that for me, that was, was similar in style. I mean, it was a different style of wine. It was a Pinot Noir from Santa Rita Hills, but again, like yeah, the Central yeah. Coast, it had probably a little bit of RS, or at least it was really fruity. And and also at the same time, you know, elegant and did things that I didn't think a liquid could do in my mouth, you know? <laughs> sure. um, 
and you know, and yet right. texture. Oh yeah, right, right. And probably if I went back to it now, I don't know if I'd like it as much. Maybe I would. I have no idea. You know, I have I have a sense that I wouldn't like it as much just because my palate has changed, and I'd probably detect things like maybe too much oak that you know gave it that sure. sweetness mm-hmm. that I liked, or you know, it could have been any number of things. But sure, and maybe I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I like had an amazing palette when I was completely <laughs> right. younger, you know, and it was like, <laughs> it's really hard to go back in time. But, but I do think like, if, if my assumptions are right, you and I, you, you, the two of you and I had very similar experiences in what grabbed us. And, and even if that changes, it's important to, I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm wondering how, you know, I think sometimes as a winemaker, I get out on this, you know, very, uh, I don't. I don't even know what to put it, but you know, you get caught up in the idea of making a winemaker's wine and forget that, like, mm. you know, some of the magic that brings people in is not necessarily what you like. It's a whole different style, and you know, it's important to remember that. Like, what brought you, you know, and you may end up being you two may end up being these incredible minds that change the shape of the industry. And how unfortunate it would have been if nobody, if everybody was just making these lean. Viognier's that were super tart um, and that never grabbed your attention and you were like, eh, wine sucks and moved on with your life to other things <laughs> contribute your mind to. Um, I don't know. That's a, you know, obviously like life happens the way it happens, but it's, you, you know, know, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, some of the things, you know, you know, speaking of Viognier specifically. Um, so, you know, one, one of, one of our, one of our hybrids is actually not, you know, not, not descended from, from Viognier in any way, but um, one of, one of our hybrid grapes, um, actually, I, I w- w- so one of the things when you, when you have a new when you have a new grape, you develop a new grape. You've got to learn how to make wine from it, mm. right? And it's not really, and it's not not even really about learning how to make wine from it. It's learning. It's it's uncovering what kind of wine that grape wants to be. Right? Yeah. So it was interesting because we, we have this this one grape. It's actually uh, has Riesling as one of its parents, but the aromatics of the grape, if you make it in you know, the style of Riesling was, which is which we, we first did when we first tried to make wine from it. Um, it had a very, you know, perfumed, um, uh, floral aromatic, uh, of, of lilies, you know, like think, think, think Asian lilies, think stargazer lily. And it was very, you know, very much in the four, right. There was also, you know, peach and apricot and you know, a lot of stone fruits, but, but the, the, the floral thing was very much in the floor and to, and to the point where it was too much. Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, making the wine and, you know, very straightforward style block, you know, blocking malolactic. Um, so then I, I did actually did some research and, you know, trying to, you know, thinking about, you know, what other approaches can I take? And I came across an article and I can't, I can't quote to you what it, where it was from at the moment, but I came across an article about Viognier. And they were talking about you know, the great, the great Viognier's of, of France. And what the what the person said in the article was that Viognier, if you don't take it through malolactic fermentation, doesn't develop the character that that you expect from you know what are what are probably today considered to be the greatest Viognier's on, on the planet. And I said, oh, that that's that's pretty interesting. So I I, I tried doing malolactic fermentation with this. With this particular, you know, grape, this, this white grape, and and prior to that, I was you know kind of a, of a mindset of no, I'm just gonna, you know, maybe block malolactic with my whites, um, probably because I got I got jaded with some some of the <laughs> the, the 90, 94 chardonnays that we had 
stocked yeah. up on that, that you know, <laughs> right. after two years were very, very flat and, and not very interesting. Um, you had enough kinda, in your, in your palate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So my mind kind of went the other way. I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to do, you know, no Oak and it's going to be, you know, stony and it's just going to be, you know, acidic. And, um, but then, but then when I read this article, I said, well, let me try it. So, so I tried malolactic fermentation with this variety and it was interesting the the, the fruit, uh, the stone fruits came forward and, and the floral component went, went backward. So it really, it, it was amazing how much it shifted the aromatics. Wow. And then, and then I thought, okay, well, this is, this is interesting. And I said, and it's funny you mentioned this because I actually never really thought about that. I never really thought about this till you asked the question just now. I think maybe with this wine, I was thinking back to that, you know, that, that first, you know, that, that Viognier that we had so many years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was probably influencing this particular path for this, this one grape. But so I was thinking, you know, what can I do on, on the, for the mouthfeel of this wine? Cause I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's good. It smells good. It tastes good but it's not thick. It's not coating. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I want more complexity on the mouthfeel. So then I, I, you know, I read some things about, you know, skin contact with, uh, with white grapes, you know, and, and, and orange wines. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I, one thing that I knew from the hybrids that we had developed and, and, and we're developing is that they, for the most part, they have very low skin tannins. Right. And that's something you'll hear from great breeders, you know, trying to develop, you know, cold hardy or diseases and grapes. Yeah. And a lot of times it's, it's difficult to get the, the tannin. But if you are going to do a skin contact white, um, having low tannin, you know, really low tannin in the skins is a great thing because you can do, you know, long skin, long skin contact fermentation without right. the risk of, of pulling tannins in. So we did that and um, it was amazing the, the, the complexity that we got. Uh, in terms of the viscosity, the mouthfeel was was tremendous. So we've we've done a lot of work with that grape, and you know, lo- looking at you know skin contact anywhere from from about three months up to a year, and it's 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 pretty phenomenal actually. We really, we really love the grape. Um, wow! And the color is amazing. It's like liquid gold in the glass. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. It's actually so- the closest I've seen to a wine that actually you know people say wines have a golden color, but you know a lot That's of times you look at them and they're they're yellow. Yeah, this one looks like looks like gold. I mean, and that's with, mm-hmm. with with the skin contact. With the skin contact, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And are and you? You go ahead. Uh, this was. I mean, you mentioned three different ways you made it. Is that three separate years? Like you had to wait for the following year to yes to yeah. remake it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just giving <laughs> just giving context to the yeah, time frame. So, so the other thing that's yeah. important to to point out is that so when you're when you're breeding grapes and. Uh, you know, I, I listened to your interview with uh, with Tom Plocker, and, and he covered a lot of the the technical aspects and and what all's involved. And we can touch on any of that that you want to as well. Um, but certainly, you know, you you get a new grape variety that you like, right? Mm-hmm. You have to propagate enough vines, you know, to make some wine, right? right? I mean, you can, you can make, you know, for, from one vine, you can make maybe a bottle, right? Depends depends on how vigorous the vine is, but. Um, generally what we do is, you know, we'll do a micro fermentation, you know, from, from the first fruit that we get, but that just gives us, you know, very much a basic look uh, yeah. on the chemistry and, and, and how it ferments and that kind of, that kind of thing. But to do, you know, real experimentation on things like, like skin contact, uh, you need, you need more fruit. Um, so, so, you know, this particular variety, we've got, you know, about eight vines uh, that, that we worked with to do this, to do this work. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was, it was a decent amount of, uh, of fruit. Okay. Yeah. 
for a great breeder anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I, I, I have this theory that just like uh, I think I'm starting to develop and I think other winemakers develop over time this ability to like taste a grape in the vineyard and sort of be able to, sure. you know, translate that into in their head into like what this will take, you know, how this will translate into the glass. I have sure. this theory that right. you breeders are doing the same thing where you're you're able to sort of, you know, make one little bat one bottle of something from one vine and be like you know if we could do x y and z with it this this would end up tasting like this where you're like actually extrapolating it to a larger volume and everything else um right. do, do you guys find that you have developed some special skills with uh wine tasting over the years because of the limitations sure yeah 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 definitely um and i, I think there's 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 a couple pieces to that um you know certainly just the you know the the basics right acidity, uh, you know, sugar content, tannin, um, these, these, you know, special aromatics, you know, there, there's certain things you're going to be able to pick up, you know, musket, you're going to be able to pick up, um, some, some fruit characteristics you're going to be able to pick up, but, but the other, the other side of it, that there's a lot that you, you're not going to be able to pick up, um, until you do, until you ferment, uh, the grapes, um, yeah. you know, working on things that, you know, grapes that are producing precursors, you know, thiol precursors, right. You're not going to necessarily pick that up in the fruit. I mean, you're not going to pick it up in the fruit. Um, so the, the, those are always fun. You know, we have, we have some hybrids with uh, Sauvignon Blanc that, you know, some of them get, you know, get get the trait where they produce a lot of uh, aromatic thiol precursors that the yeasts, you know, convert to the to the wonderful things that we like to give the, the you know the gooseberry and the passion fruit aromas. Mm -hmm. um, but you're not going to taste the grape and say, oh, this tastes like passion fruit, right? Because that that doesn't come till you have the you know the the, the marriage of the of the yeast. Uh, and, and the fruit chemistry in, in, during fermentation. Yeah. yeah. So you know, the other thing is interesting. You know, you mentioned that tasting the grapes. So the other thing um, that that actually you, you'll start tasting eventually is the stems, ah. right? So, so so one thing that's that that we've really found um, with some of our some of our hybrids is the importance of uh, using stems during fermentation. So <clears throat> hybrid grapes do uh, a lot of times tend to be low in tannin. But what we found is that a lot of the hybrids that that, that we have um, have actually you know, really clean uh, flavors in the stems mm. and, and tremendous amount of tannin in the stems. Plus, I, I'm if I'm not mistaken, a lot of hybrids have high acid. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. so absolutely. You get, you get a double benefit from stems. Ex absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're growing straight vinifera and you and you you know you go to do you know a full stem inclusion uh, wine. Uh, you know, you're adding a lot of, adding a lot of tartaric acid just to make sure you don't, your pH doesn't go too high. Right. But yeah, so we, we can have, uh, we, we actually do have one, one variety that, you know, the acid is on the higher side, um, you know, over, you know, uh, over, uh, 10 grams per liter. Um, mm, but, you uh, but you know, the, the stems, you know, the potassium from the stems helps to, you know, to drop some of that out. Yeah. Wild. Now, can you talk a, a bit about what you've accomplished in in the twenty years that you've been doing this? What where you are at this point? Uh, sure, with, with the business, yeah, with yeah, sure, sure. So, so you know, right now, in terms of uh, in terms of where we are with with the hybrids, um, we have a handful of varieties um, that we're moving into uh, commercialization. Um, we just just started a, a relationship with with the nursery uh, in New York. So uh, you, you probably know uh, Ombird uh, grapevines. 
yep, used to be the uh, really Grafted familiar. Grapevine in New York. Yep. Yes, we, we started a relationship with them. So great, great folks, um, Eric and, and Sandra Omberg. Um, and they're going to be propagating uh, some, of our, uh, some of our varieties um, yeah. specifically. But so, you know, we started out the great breeding, you know, here in our, in our home in, in Kent, Ohio, and really literally in the backyard, um, quickly ran out of space. Uh, <laughs> well, I, let me put it this way. I ran out of space that Holly allowed you al- allocate, me to you allocate. Yes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're in, we're here, we're in a neighborhood, you know, we're on actually, right. on a, you know, yeah. thankfully we're in a cul-de-sac lot. So the backyard's big, right? Which helps. Yeah. Right. But still, there's only so much space. Um, right. But it was a great place to start because uh, our particular location in Kent, uh, number one, Kent's, you know, quite, quite a ways away from the lake. So there's no lake influence, yeah. no moderating influence of the lake. Um, so, so growing season is, is, is fairly short compared to the Grand River Valley. Um, where Geneva is located. Where Geneva, yes. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah, up where our, our research vineyard is we're today. Close to, yeah. Lake Erie up there. Um, and, and, and where we're at in Kent is also a low spot in Kent, right? So we'll, we'll regularly be, you know, five degrees cooler, you know, on oh. a still winter, you know, winter or late, late, you know, or spring or fall day. Right. So frost, um, frost was definitely more of a challenge here, which was great when we were starting because it helped us select some really good, um, uh, really good uh, vines to start with. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, we, 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 go ahead. No, go ahead. I said we quickly ra- ran out of space here. Um, and then purchase the, uh, the property in, um, in Geneva, in Harpersfield Township. Um, we looked for, I don't know, a few years. It probably, it probably took us a good four years to find uh, the property uh, up there. Yes. Um, but it's a beautiful location. Uh, I don't know if you know much about uh, the Grand River Valley, but um, from Lake Erie, um, you know, you, you come in off of Lake Erie. Lake Erie is around 600 feet of elevation. Um, and, it, and it's all glacial, right? The Great Lakes are, you know, carved out by the glaciers um, as, as they receded. And uh, coming in off of Lake Erie, there's 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 a couple ridges, right? So there's a ridge um, that goes up to about 850 feet, um, and then just, just south of that ridge is the valley or the gorge and where the Grand River flows, and then just south of that on the other side is is another another ridge. So. Uh-huh. You know the the majority of the wineries in Ohio are located in the Grand River Valley, okay. and um, I think a lot of the people that grow there would say that's probably probably the best place to grow grapes uh, in Ohio. And so we're on that uh, our property up there is on on the ridge on, on the north side of the of the Grand River. Okay, lovely, but that's beautiful. It yeah, is, it you know, is. because there's a you know there's a constant you know really a constant airflow, so mm. you get the air that comes in off the lake. Comes, comes up the in, valley. Yep, up over the mm-hmm. up over the ridge and down into the down into the Grand River Gorge. Uh, oh. So so airflow is actually is quite good there, which is helpful from you know disease stamp disease and frost standpoint both. Yeah, um, and then it's just a it's just a beautiful area. You know, lots lots of other wineries there and uh, lots lots of lots of friends that we've met and, and people that we've uh, learned from as as we kind of go along this process. But yeah. but we you know that property when we bought it had a a Concord vineyard on it was about seven about seven acres about yeah. seven acres yeah okay and it had a it had a a Welch's contract right that's so a lot so, of Concord yeah I was gonna say it's yeah. a lot of Concord we, so and we were we were dropped into a we would we were dropped into a Welch's contract and we <laughs> we, we actually took took occupancy 
in like April. April. Of, uh, yeah. So right, right. Uh, and the vineyard had not been pruned. Oh yet. boy. Right. So we scrambled. We were scrambling. You know, number one. You know, you knew you this though it? when you were buying it, though, right? Like we knew we were buying it, but we couldn't. And we kept hinting at it with the people who well, owned it, and we really and something fell through. I think with the the pruning or something on their end or yeah. something. Yeah, they, they, probably, they were trying they to find spend something. that money since they were or, selling, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't totally understand that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. So that was that was a lot. It was a fast learning curve. Um. We did wow. a lot of pruning. Had to you know quickly you know hire some people, which which some friends in the area helped us with. Uh, to, you know to get the vineyard pruned, and it was tedious pruning because. You know, buds had pushed. You know, it wasn't like you could just manhandle, you know, manhandle the vines. Oh you know, yeah. We just stripped everything off, and uh, so it was challenging. So we went through, we yeah. went through all that work, and then, and then there was a frost. There was like a bad frost. Oh. So one of the yeah. years it was probably, I think it was, I think to this day we've been there for what ten years now. We've had that the site twelve years now. Yeah, twelve, 12 years, years now. now going twelve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think to this day that's still the worst frost we've had. Okay. And so, you know, went through all that work and then, you know, we lost a bunch of the crop right. to frost. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it was a bummer. So, uh. so, so we, we learned and pruned better and then got, you know, got a bumper crop uh, the following year, uh, right. which was actually the, the, the last year that, that we, that we grew the Concord grapes. So, got it. but over time we, you know, we took the Concord uh, vines out um, and have been working, you know, on developing, you know, developing the land. Uh, for the use, you know, for, for high quality wine grapes, um, you know, a lot of soil preparation, uh, drain tile installation, um, new trellis installation. Um, so, you know, seven acres was there today. Um, again, the grape, the grape breeding has only taken over about one acre total. Um, okay. So grape breeding doesn't take a ton of, uh, well, it depends on the level, but you know, if, if you're, if you're just one or two people doing grape breeding, um, and it's not your full-time job, uh, you're not going to be able to do much more than, than a couple acres. Right. That sounds right. So, well, let me ask you a stupid question. <laughs> wouldn't it make sense or wouldn't you want the breeding area to be in a terrible location where you have like the worst frost and the worst pest pressure and stuff like that? I guess, well, maybe the bigger question is what, what are your objectives? I mean, you can feel free to answer that initial question too, but then sure. I guess it just <laughs> occurred to me this could lead into a segue for you to talk about what your objectives in breeding are. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, maybe maybe let's start with that. So our objectives in breeding, when, when we started and, and really our, our goal is to breed grapes that are suitable for our region. Um, you know, one thing that you'll learn, you know, from grape breeders, it's you really, you can only breed for where you live. Right. Um, you can't, it's, it's going to be, it's tough to breed for anywhere, but where you live, um, you can, you can develop grapes and, and, and if you develop one, that's not quite suited for you, you can always send it to somebody else to try it somewhere. But, you know, through the only way you're going to get something that's suitable for somebody else is through those kind of collaborations. But the vast majority of the work and the progress that you're going to make is going to be breeding for where you live. Yeah. Just ask so, most of the world who are growing grapes that were bred in Europe. <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. <laughs> and they ain't doing so great uh, without a lot of help. Right? Um, <laughs> it's 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 cold hardiness and it's disease resistance. Um, okay, you know, that's disease. what you're going for. Yeah, right. So, you know, and obviously the 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 baseline is it has to taste good. Like you, you right? Sure. Like I mean, you could probably get disease resistance <laughs> and hardiness, and it would oh, be sure. sterile. Like it wouldn't 
to, to grow even grapes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, uh, I can I can go out into the woods nearby and, and find a wild grape, and I'm going to have disease. Job done. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's 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 really important for us um, to develop grapes that make wine that really is world class. Right? Yeah, I mean that, that's our objective, um, and and we want to to have we want to have grapes that have the cold hardiness and the disease resistance that allows them to be. You know, to, to basically explore terroir that hasn't been explored yet. Yeah. Right. And and, and to, the only way you can explore terroir with in, in, in wine is to have vineyards that have been around for a long time. Right. So if if I if I plant, you yeah. know, I, I I can plant Cabernet, I can plant Cabernet Franc, I can plant Cabernet, I can plant any vinifera I want um, on our site um, up in uh, the Grand River Valley. But right. it, you know, once, twice. In, in my lifetime, there will be a, a killing event, right? There will be, it will get cold enough to where the grapes will die and the vineyard will have to be replanted. So you, it's going to be very difficult to get grapes there that are ever old enough that you're going to really start to express uh, the combination of what the variety can deliver and, 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 what the, and what the site can perfect. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned the, the age and the the, the time that it takes to express terroir. And I, I remember being at a Bordeaux tasting and talking to one, you know, one of the, the, the French guys who had come over to pour his wines. And he was like, in Bordeaux, we, we don't even talk about terroir until the vines are at least 20 years old. Sure. And, mm-hmm. and then you compare that to like, I mean, I feel like now the lifespan of a grapevine commercially is like maybe 25 to 30 years before they're mm-hmm. considered, you know, not productive enough for use <clears throat> and <Sure>. then <laughs> uh and, and it's I, there's like a stark contrast to me there of what it what it really takes to actually you know translate a piece of land through a vine versus what our commercial um objectives seem to be and how at odds they are sure uh, I, I mean not everybody obviously but that's just uh, you know this is something to think about i guess it's an interesting Right. thing when considering what you're doing and how you're growing it and yeah so do you do you um do you look for specific characteristics in the wines uh, like are you i mean are you breeding with a with a goal how do i put this like are you obviously you're looking for really world class fine wine as a result of whatever you're doing but are you looking for anything specific other than like white versus red or your, or, you know what I mean? Do you look at the, what's around you, for example, what's being grown around you and be like, you know what, nobody's really got a good gree here and we should try to breed a gree or something like that. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm just throwing stuff out there. I don't know if there's sure. kind of things coming. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely some of that, right. There's definitely some of, you know, what, what is available you know, in, in the current, you know, current commercially available wine grapes that can be grown sustainably in our area, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what, 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 what can I, what, 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 what could I buy? What grapes could I get? What kind of wine do they make? Um, there, there's certainly a, a lot of that, but then I think there's, there's even just some broader categories, um, you know, really, you know, full-bodied red wine is a, is, is a challenge. That's been a challenge uh, for hybrid grapes for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and honestly, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the greatest wines on the planet and that, that, that people celebrate and, and I personally enjoy myself are that. Um, yeah. 
And I would very much like to deliver uh, grapes like that. Got it. Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of, you know, whole cluster. I shouldn't say whole cluster in terms of like carbonic, but, but full stem inclusion, put it that way. Yeah. Foot stomped Syrah, for example. Mm. Um, we, and Hane both. We, we, we love those wines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, sure. So, you know, the fact that we can, you know, go down that path with some of, some of our hybrids and, and see the effect of, of the, of the stem inclusion and, and see the, you know, the, the tannin development and the, and the, you know, the complexity of, of the body of the wine change dramatically by doing that is, uh, is, is very fulfilling. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, generally what's, you know, we, we look for things that, that aren't currently available and honestly, we, we kind of aim towards the kind of wines that we like, you know, yeah. we, we like full body reds. We like, you know, good, uh, Chardonnay. And I think probably both of us have been, uh, tilted towards more unoaked <laughs> Mm-hmm. since our early early experiences early in our in our wine drinking right yeah like you know like like diversity big i'm a big fan of diversity mm-hmm. um and, oh, yeah. you know, especially alsatian diversity you know just yeah. that really i guess i like wines with a lot of viscosity i guess that's what i'm that's what I'm yeah it's, there's today. a theme yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely a theme well, it's, you know, I, I just had, it's funny. I was just pruning today. I was just drinking a oaky Chardonnay before we go on here. There's a lot, <laughs> of, a lot of things that are happening. Um, I mean, by no intention, these all just fell into place because I, I don't know, whatever they were on the schedule. And then I just had the, you know, had the fortune to go taste a bunch of delicious hybrids like Traminet, which comes from Gewürztraminer. And, yeah, and yeah, I was like, and then I was at a, yeah, I was at Vidinor where, Itasca. I went to an Itasca panel, which is very, and then La Crescent as well, both of which are very floral, very perfumey, very viscous. I think, I mean, to me, they, they just had a lot going on. Um, and, and yeah, I, I don't even know what I'm saying other than I, i I am a big fan of those as well, I guess is what I'm saying there. And I, Mm-hmm. Sounds like we need to get to get, uh, get together and drink some wine at some point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the sh- that's the that's what I was leading for. I was just setting it up so you could. <laughs> um, no, it's a it's. Um, I, I think the other thing is, and I've already said this, so I'm, I don't want to bore people, but I really the quality of of the wines that I've been tasting that have been hybrids have just been. I mean, there's just no difference between them and vinifera. Like I, I don't even. Right. Yeah, like I, I, and so I wonder where you guys are with that in terms of what you've encountered in, out in the world, uh, in terms of your experiences talking to people, and where you know geographically, if you've noticed differences as you're talking to people about their attitudes and opinions about the the grapes that you're working with, and just the whole idea of of breeding, you know, a hybrid grape. Right? You, have you encountered any, you know, just naysayers or you know oh, anything definitely. that's like? Okay. What, what, what have you encountered? I'm really the, curious. The majority, I would say, I would say the majority of the years that we've been doing this, there have been more naysayers than, than proponents. Oh, wow. And, and I think just generally just, and I'm not saying, you know, just people we know, a lot, a lot of people we know, of course, are, are very supportive of what we're doing, but generally in the industry, I mean, you, the, the shift towards the interest in, in hybrid grapes and, and resistant grapes that people are beginning to realize as, you know, a sustainable path forward for, for the wine industry uh, globally. Mm-hmm. This is a new phenomenon, um, really within the last, what, five years? 
in, in any big way. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it, right? It's, right? it's I mean, really... everybody's honestly, everybody's starting to freak out about it now. And, and, and quite frankly, thank goodness for people breeding grapes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not just us, but, but other people, lots of people. Right. right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, for we're, real. You know, for we're, real. We're, we're doing it kind of the old, the old fashioned way. Uh, but there's, there's plenty of other people that are, that are doing, you know, marker, marker selected breeding, you know, tar- targeting specific, you know, genes, yeah, no. understanding yeah. what they are and being able to select things faster. Yeah. Interinstitutional cooperation now, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Vitus Gen 2 program. Um, but you know, I, when we, when we started, it's funny because I think the best, for me, the best example is, you know, when we, when we first started, we went to, I think it was the, what was it, the Ohio Wine and Grape Conference. Conference. I think mm-hmm. that's what it's called. And, you know, we, 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 we had just started this, right? And so we're talking yeah. to anybody we can. And so I managed, I managed to, to find um, Arne Esterer, right, who is uh, uh, unfortunately no longer with us. But, you know, he, he's, he's a legend here mm-hmm. um, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if you know, if you know of him, but... Arne uh, Esther. Arne Esterer. He started Marco Vineyard. Uh, uh, up, um, up, in, up in Conneaut, Ohio. Ohio. No, don't know him. He, but... he studied, you know, he, he studied under uh, Dr. Constantine Fra- uh, Frank in, in the Finger Lakes. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. Right? And of course there, you know, the idea was you can grow vinifera, and, you know, Dr. Frank said you can grow vinifera in the Finger Lakes. Right. And then what Dr. Frank told, told uh, Arnie Esther was you can grow vinifera in Ohio. Right. So, so Arnie really was the father of vinifera uh, growing, uh, you know, in, in, in winemaking in Ohio. Right. And so I, so I met, I met Arnie and, and I, I will, I'll never forget that, you know, I talked to him, I told him about what we were doing. I said, yeah, we're starting to breed grapes and, you know, we're going to have cold, hardy, disease resistant grapes that make great wine. And, you know, we're going to have a winery up here and we're going to be able to make wine that's, you can't get anywhere else on the planet. And he told me, he said, well, why don't, why don't you just grow what everybody else is growing that works, right? <laughs> Does that's it work? We <laughs> well, it's interesting because that was that was 20 years ago-ish. Um, yeah. Fast forward to 2014, 2015, we have the polar vortex come through, right? Yeah. Vineyards, vinifera vineyards were just so many just wiped out, wiped right. out. We got to here in Kent, uh, we got to 36 and, and in Geneva, both 36 minus 36 Fahrenheit. Right. Right. Which is, you know, we don't get that very often. You, you talk to people in other parts of, of, of the country, they say, oh, we get there every year, but we, we, don't, we don't get there very often. Right. Yeah. But if you're growing vinifera, if you get to minus 36, forget about it. Yeah. The vines right? just it's explode. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. The vines explode. You know, the only thing that's alive is the rootstock. Right. So you got a bunch of rootstock vines in your vineyard. So right. after that, experience so we, we had we, we had had conversation with with arnie along uh, along the way after that experience he became incredibly interested in what we we're doing <laughs> incredibly and he became this big advocate actually for us locally and well, i, and I really of... thank him for that um i mean and you know I, I i mean i'm laughing i'm sort of laughing at him but but really like props to him for being able to change his mind and right, right. you know yeah, yeah like that's fantastic yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, and his his what he did for the for the industry tremendous. You know, growing sure. the wine industry tremendous. Um, his wines fantastic. Yes. Um, and, and as as a you know mentor, not maybe not mentor, definitely somebody I learned from, uh, and as a friend, 
yeah, great guy and he's very much missed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great story too. I mean, it's really, I mean, I, I think that is maybe these extremes are what is waking people up to this need. Um, yeah. you know, cause it, it seems, I mean, because, you know, I'm also seeing more recently learning about the crazy extent to which we continue to go to Grove and if we're like under geotextiles, you know, oh goodness, um, in those yeah. Northern climates where it's like, yeah, it's, I, I'm just like, man, like, which leads into, you know, why, why maybe people should, I, I think you guys have this great idea um, about how, how there should be regional breeders, basically. I, and I just want to clarify, we did say grape breeding, right? We, we're not talking about you as breeders, period. Just, we're talking about grape breeding. <laughs> Sorry. Absolutely. Great yes. breeding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we got two kids, um, though. So. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Beautiful. So if, if, it's, there's multiple dimensions. Right. Um, so the, the, this, you have this idea of like support your local breeder, basically. Um, and that every region should sort of, you know, send resources to help promote this work of the, of these, of a breeder or a group of breeders who are working to improve the, the, the genetic stock for that region. I love this idea. And you want to talk more about where this came, what what your thoughts are about that? Cause I'm probably butchering it. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, at, at a high level, you know, one, one of the challenges is that, you know, so a lot of the great breeding that's done is, is done by institutions, right? And done by universities, mm-hmm. which is great, number one. But, you know, sometimes a university will have a breeding program and then, you know, interests change in the university and funding goes away and, and stuff gets lost. Um, or, you know, or, or you have, you know, private breeders who are doing the work, right? You know, yeah. People like us. And typically, if you have, you know, a private great breeder, they're doing it as a hobby, Right. Because there's, there's really today, there's really not a good way to make a living as, as a great breeder uh, right. for, for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, one, it takes a, it takes a long time. Right. So uh, to be to be a great breeder, you have got to be willing to put in uh, at least 10 years uh, of effort before you're going to see anything out of it. And that and that's honestly would be very fast. Right. Um, so, so really, you know, you know, typically, you know, if you breed a grape, you know, what, what does a university do? They, they'll, they'll breed, they'll breed grapes, they'll, they'll patent a variety and then they'll release, release the variety. And even some private grape breeders do this, Tom, I mean, Tom Plocker does this, right? You know, release a variety through a nursery and then, you know, a patented variety. And then when the nursery sells the grapes, um, a royalty gets paid back to uh, the breeder, whether it's the university or the, the, the grape breeder or the grape breeding company, whatever it happens to be. So, you know, the, the question is for, for private, you know, for private great breeders, how do you, how, how do you make that sustainable? Um, my, my personal thoughts on the, on the patent approach, you know, I, I deal with patents all the time in, in, in my day job, um, uh-huh. all the time. And, you know, patents last 20 years, you know, whether you got a patent on a electronic doodad that you made or some new chemistry that you made or on a new grape that you made patent last 20 years, 20 years for a uh, breeding grapes or 20 years in the life of a new variety is nothing. Right. <laughs> You're barely going to get, you know, uh, you know, that many, you know, grapes in, in the ground and, and, or any kind of understanding about the varieties. Um, so, so, so the, the patent approach is, is challenging. Um, and there's an expense, obviously there's an expense to, to getting, to getting patents. So, so really um, I, I think there's a need for, for a new business model. Um, 
to, to kind of allow people who want to breed grapes uh, to, to, to realize a financial benefit if they develop something that really takes off um, for, and, 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 and for a longer period of time uh, and a larger benefit. And, and, I, and I can't say that I, I have my finger on the pulse of it and know exactly what that is right now. But what I do know is that with the technology that's now available um, through, through blockchain, through NFTs, there are certainly mechanisms in place that would uh, allow uh, you know, funding of great breeding uh, exercises, great breeding effort, well into the winemaking process, even into the secondary market. Uh, with wines, if if they get to the point where you have a you know a, a fantastic new variety that's becomes a collectible uh, you know type wine that's sold and resold, there are mechanisms in place now that could allow you to connect that back to to the great breeder. So these are, these are things we're looking at, and, and things that we want to uh, you know work with some other some other folks to develop and flesh out further. But but I really do think there's a path. Yeah, I think that's really exciting. I love that because I, I mean I guess under Underneath all of that, from my perspective, is the value that grape breeders provide or that, you know, food breeders provide in general to oh, sure. our survival, <laughs> basically, uh, or our ability to, yeah, just to, to adapt and, and change in a world of change. You know, it's like, yeah. they, it's literally the most necessary thing that seems to be absent right now sure. in, in the, the system that we consider wine or that we consider other things. I mean, I know it's been happening in these universities. It's sort of like, you know, there has been breeding happening, but I think the idea that you're pointing me to, and maybe you have the same, share the same ideas, but it's like every region should have its own, you know, breeder, you know, I, I mean, I, I've said that everybody who has a vineyard should be breeding, you know, in some way. I know, like, I've heard you say that. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, and I really think that to a certain extent, because I think it's just how, it, it, it's a shift in mindset instead of being like, there is this one thing that is a market commodity that I must produce. It's like, no, I'm going to adapt and grow what grows well. And so I always have to be adapting and selecting. And so you, your, your whole thought, your whole process, your whole perspective on what you're doing as a, as a viticulturalist, as an agriculturalist changes from, you know, capitalizing on a commodity to part, participating in each ecological process that never ends you know you don't you don't mm-hmm. win the gold ring in agriculture you're you're always you know moving forward you're always progressing and changing yeah. um yes. anyway I'm, I'm riffing but uh <laughs> I, I know that you, you know I, I i i think the next level up is this idea that you guys are talking about which is like still there's you know thousands of breeders around the country because there's at least one for every region because they're like you said it's like we need somebody who's helping us develop that genetic stock that is well adapted to our right right where we live because of course there sure. and microclimate and everything else comes into play and and like you said it it then we have this diverse thing like it it develops diversity which also just creates resilience to a wine industry. It also creates uniqueness. I think you pointed at that, but Absolutely. it's that idea of like, I don't know if you, if we talked about, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but it's, but I think you and I talked about it when we talked before, Aaron, about how, you know, rather than chasing like the next cult cab thing, a breeder, I mean, a breeder, a, a millionaire or a billionaire who wanted to make their mark 
like why not invest in a proprietary breed of grape like why instead of Absolutely chasing right. something that everybody else is doing you know name it after you like like get <laughs> breed a grapevine that literally that you're the only person in the world that has it and then your wine is unique in the world and then then you have something special sure. you're not just like you're not just like another 99 point cabernet from napa you're you're like mm-hmm. you're the aaron and holly paula you know grape whatever wine whatever sure, I, right, right. if not saying that you guys are billionaires with big egos but um, but if you were, you know, you could name it after yourselves or your child or whatever, you know, you can name it anything you wanted and it would be yours. And it just right. baffles me that that's like, if you have the money to burn, you know, why not do that instead of just sure, doing right, right. what everybody else is doing? Anyway, I, I'm repeating myself, but. No, but I absolutely agree. And it's funny because we, we've actually had conversations with, um, we've actually had conversations with wineries in the past. So, so, so one of the things, obviously we're, we're, we're going down the path with our breeding. There's certain things that we want to accomplish. Um, but we've also had conversations with winery owners in the past about exactly what you're saying, you know, be, you know, basically bespoke development of, of new varieties. Right. Right? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you had a variety of your own that exists only in your vineyard? Um, and we, we, we've, we, we, I can't say that we've had success with that, uh, with that model yet, but we've definitely had some interest. Um, so I think, you know, you know, I think we will eventually find some people, uh, and I expect that we would be contacted by some people at some point or meet somebody who says, wow, that's really cool. I'd like to have a grape of my own. Can you help me with this? Let me and we're, we're, this. we're excited about that opportunity. Could, could you, I, I mean, maybe this is what, how you're approaching it. Um, but what I'm imagining you're saying is somebody comes to you and says, Hey, could you develop? for me something that's a cross of this and is a little like this and then you you know you're and then i only want it to be for me and so they spit you know pay a special fee for that but exactly but i'm wondering again because you were talking about like the limits of of making money through the patent system what if as you just develop these you sort of try to sell them to individual Yes. vineyards you know what i mean and just be like hey we're we have something coming out that has these characteristics it's already proven it's resistant you don't need to spray and it's gonna and it's delicious here's some wine that you can taste from it if you'd like to own this here's the big price tag that you can pay exactly. and literally nobody else in the world can have this only you will have it and of course we'll keep like the negatives but i don't know i'm using sure. photography yeah, um, no, analogy but you know what i mean like you'll keep the you know the genetic the you know fingerprint of that in your in your vineyard because you'll continue to work with it but they will be the only person in the world that gets that yeah yeah no we we've that that's definitely that's definitely a thing that uh something that we've thought of um and, you know e- even taking a step uh earlier than that in the process you know so you can imagine if you had you know, let's say you you let's say you make a uh you know across um across and you you have whatever 500 seedlings right yeah. And let's say you go through your, your first, you know, your process and you get rid of, get rid of all the ones that are you know, definitely problematic. Maybe it's two years and you, you end up with, let's say you end up with 20 vines, right? That you're then going to continue to grow uh, to the point that you're going to see what kind of fruit, fruit it has, monitored, m- monitored disease and cold resistance or whatever over several years, right? Mm-hmm. At that point where you have those, those 20 candidate vines, we've even thought about, you know, allowing people to, 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 you know, buy a share or adopt a vine at that point. Right. 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 And if something were to ever come of that vine, they're, they're purchasing early an opportunity to share in the profitability of that variety in, in its future. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I just love talking about these things because I, in, in some way, I think it actually could promote grape breeding. And if that right, is exactly. the result of this, because people see a way to make money out of this for all of a sudden, then boom, we've won. You know what I mean? The world has right. won. Sure, exactly. Oh, I love that. Um, now, I think maybe just go back to something real quick that you said, you said a minute ago, you, you know, you know, talking about, you know, great breeding as a way, you know, to deal with, you know, the, the effects that we're seeing with the, with the change of the climate and, and, and expanding the capability uh, you know, of being able to produce, you know, world-class wines in different areas. I, I don't really, I think we, we don't really look at it necessarily as, you know, we're doing this so that winemaking survives, right? Yeah, go on, please. I, I look at it as we're doing this so that people anywhere on the planet can have an absolutely phenomenal experience with a glass of wine, not just about so that there's wine available for people to drink, but so that those wines are available that are just really memorable experiences in people's lives mm, in different so places. It's not just about surviving. It's about thriving. It's about giving people experiences that they remember. I love that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I appreciate that. Let me ask you something real just fun. Um, how many seedlings have you planted over the last 20 years? Oh, okay. That's, let me think about that one. So <laughs> a lot. I should, have, yeah, I should have prepped you for that one. So you could have. Yeah. All right. Well. I don't know if I've done this math. So I would say on a, a given year, we probably do uh, anywhere from 40 on a, on a, on a slow year to maybe twice that many, maybe up to 80 or 90 crosses. Okay. Crosses. Crosses like this vine cross with that vine. Seriously? Mm -hmm. Yes. Then you're getting whoa. And then each of those, you know, each of those we probably get on average, I would say on average, fifty, at least fifty seeds usually to a couple hundred seeds. Right. So I don't know that math. But but it's it's a it's a it's a it's a big number. Trying to think fifty hundred. Well let's take it. I would say maybe somewhere around three thousand to Six or seven thousand seedlings. We would start yeah. I was gonna say the average looks year. like five thousand, and that's so that's yeah. per year. So yeah, you're you're at like a hundred thousand, maybe easily, possibly. Yeah, something, something, something like that. And but and, but the thing is, I mean, I, I can't remember where I saw it. But I remember somebody somebody threw a number at it one time, like how many how many seedlings do you have to grow to come up with a you know a great variety that is in some way more useful than its parents, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. And, and the number was, the number that the person said was one in 10,000. Okay. So one in 10,000, where would that put us? You know, we're in that. So 10. right now okay, we've got, we've got, yeah, it would be less than, it'd be 10, no more than that. So, yeah. you know, and we've got for sure three that we, that we know that we like that, you know, pretty much we know we're going forward with and we're going to plant in our vineyard here and, and grow and make wine here in, in the Grand River Valley. Um, and maybe another half a dozen that um, are, you know, are, are approaching that that point. So I think that's, that number is pretty, pretty pretty close. That's pretty close. Plus, you you you've been planting the last couple of years and and still have to wait and find out what sure. actually happens with those. So you might you know you might get another one or two out of the the last couple of years of planting. Yeah, um, yeah. The, 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 the hard part with the great breeding is is the first you know the first five years. 
Yeah, we're just um, waiting. <laughs> it's just waiting, right? It's just waiting. And then after that, you know, you got something new happening every year. So that, that's that's some of the funnest stuff, right? Going going out in the vineyard, um, you know, and 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 seeing the first fruit of, of a new of a new variety. Right. Um, because it's mm-hmm. like uh, I think I think Tom mentioned it when you talked to him. You know, grapes, when you breed grapes, the genes get all they, they get really all jumbled up. Um, so, you know, within, within a seed lot of a given cross, um, there's going to be a quite a, there can be quite a range uh, of what you get. Um, yeah, so it's pretty exciting. And, and the, these varieties that you have, are they varieties that you feel like, what are their characteristics? I was going to say, are they varieties that you would feel confident yeah. giving, giving to somebody in your region and saying, you don't have to spray this with anything? Like, is it that level of resistance or what would you, what Tell, tell me about them. What, what are you, where are they at? I would, say, I would of say of the three that we have, um, I would say one of them, I would, I would say has a shot at being a no spray in our region. Okay. Um, the other two would be certainly minimal spray, you know, a couple, a couple of spray. If you, you know, if you're using traditional sprays, you know, a non-organic spray, yeah. you may only have to spray them once uh, okay. or twice at the most. Um, and certainly, you know, no issues with a, you know, organic approach or biodynamic approach. Yeah. It's funny. I just was at, I was at a vineyard in Vermont and they were trying to farm, I think it was Louise Swenson, uh, organically and, and discovered that it had, uh, an intolerant, it didn't tolerate sulfur or copper. So they basically foliated it when they sprayed it, um, (laughs) Which so yeah. they, they stopped spraying organic. They switched from organic to not organic. Right, that. that's true. I mean, yeah. yeah, some of the organic stuff can be pretty tough. I mean, you know, yeah. we call it organic, but you know, you're spraying sulfur, you're you're spraying you know copper sulfate, and um, you know those can be those can be pretty tough on 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 some of the varieties. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, well, I mean, the, the grapes we we didn't talk about it, but you know the varieties that we have. Um, yeah, if you'd so like to, I, I don't know how much you want to talk about it or how much is still under wraps until they are revealed or whatever. But oh, no, I'd love I, to hear. I'd love to hear about talk a little bit about it, but I definitely want to touch on on some of the, you know, what are we using in our in our breeding? What varieties are we using, right, in in our hybridization work? So, you know, we have a uh, first we have a vinifera breeding stock, right? So, yeah. you know, making new, developing new wine grapes. You know, you, you we're starting with genetics that are coming in from vinifera. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Vinifera brings brings obviously fantastic uh, genetics and and, and fina- uh, fantastic traits for wine production, right? Because these you know, these are grapes your your Cabernet, your Pinot Noir, your Chardonnay. Th- these are grapes that have been tried and true in terms of wine quality for for centuries, right? right? So, right. so, the, so there's, there's no questioning this aspect. Um, and but but of course, from a cold hardiness and disease resistance standpoint, they don't really bring much at all. Um, so the challenge there is, what do we bring? Uh, what other what other grapes do we cross them with? So so our work has basically been uh, focusing on really really three areas primarily. One is using some existing hybrids, you know, in, in our program. Um, Frontenac is one that we we have used, um, which which we really like because it's you know it's it's cold hardy, it's very cold hardy, disease resistant, and it's um, it's easy to grow. It's actually quite easy to grow. Um, some maybe maybe too easy to grow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we we started with Frontenac years ago when we first started getting into into to wine. And I wanted to try growing some of my own grapes in the backyard. I started with Frontenac, and uh, since we had them, that was probably the reason why we started with it. 
um, but it has it has uh, maintained a place in, in our breeding program. Um, and then the other the other ones are uh, two species, two American uh, Native American species that really haven't been used much uh, in great breeding. Mm. Um, so when you and, and those two species are Vitis longii and Vitis bicolor. Ah. So a lot of what you'll hear uh, in terms of uh, a lot of the cold hardy uh, great breeding that's been done, there's a lot of Vitis riparia. Right. Um, and certainly, um, you know, Frontenac brings, you know, a, a large percentage. I think it's around 50, over 50, 58%, something like that. Maybe it's higher than that. Uh, Vitus riparia in its background, okay. which is why it's very cold hardy. Yeah. But when we first, you know, got into to breeding and I, you know, I was introduced to great breeding by a guy named Tony Bell, uh, a great breeder here in, in Ohio who has, who has passed. Um, but, but he introduced me to great breeding. I met him at Goodyear when I, when I worked there uh, in, in the R&D center. And he told me about Vitus longii. And Vitus longii is, uh, you know, native to Texas, uh, Oklahoma area. Um, and it's interesting because it has some some very interesting traits. It's incredibly cold hardy, uh, really second only to uh, Vitus riparia um, in its cold hardiness, which is which is kind of unusual considering where it's located. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of those areas do you know can get very cold occasionally, yeah. right? So I think that 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 occasionally thing is what has uh, has has allowed it to adapt, you know, over over the years. Uh, this species to adapt over the years. Um, very uh, very neutral in terms of its aromatics and its flavor. Uh, if you taste a, a Vitis longia grape, you're just gonna say it just tastes like a grape. I mean, it doesn't doesn't taste you know it doesn't taste what I would call welchy or foxy or or herbaceous. It just tastes like fruit. Uh, very very oh. clean. Uh, has a lot That's of color. Awesome. Um, very, you know, sturdy and very upright, incredibly upright growth, uh, oh. which is like really, really crazy upright growth. Yeah. That sounds um, vinifera like. Yes. But it's actually way more upright than, than most vinifera. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild actually to see one, to see one growing and it grows almost more like a bush than, than a vine. Uh, that's okay. interesting. Huh. Um, it's only, you know, it does have higher acid, which a lot of the, the wild species do, which is not, not uncommon. Right. Um, it's only... Um, major challenge is cluster size. It has tiny, really tiny grape clusters. And, you know, we're talking, you know, small berries with 20 grapes. Right. I mean, we're talking small clusters. Yeah. Um, and it tends to pass that trait down to some degree. Uh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of times, this, you know, a pure species will do that just because it is so, you know, adapted and its genetics are so deep from so many years of adaptation. A lot of times they do tend to pass on their traits, but it has some really good things to, to, to pass along. And the other one is Vitus bicolor. Vitus bicolor um, is a native species that grows here in Ohio. Um, and it, you'll, you'll find it, you know, further out east from here, a little bit further south. And, you know, over, uh, I think they have it in, in, in Wisconsin, uh, as far as Wisconsin, in terms of, you know, cold hardiness. Um, okay. Vitus bicolor is is interesting because it's one of the one of the few you know cold hardy grape species here that can have a significant tannin in the fruit so there's a range um if you go out and you 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 look at different you know you go out in you know september uh, october and you just you know wander around looking for bicolor vines and start tasting grapes you find some that that have no tannin and you have other ones that have more tannin than you've ever tasted in a in a fresh grape. Um, wow! 
so so we actually spent I say we spent the better part of of about about five years uh, trying to find really good examples of vitus bicolor um, and and we did manage to find find one that's really very core in our program now um, uh, we we found that 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 vine um, actually in a in a neighborhood that was being developed uh, not too far from where we live and the vine um, we ended up having to, you know, take grapes from that vine and plant seeds to grow them out because one of the one of the issues with vice bicolor is that it's it's very difficult, uh, almost impossible, uh, to grow it from a from a dormant cutting. Oh, you can get it sometimes from green cuttings, but at the time we were doing this, our 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 growing cuttings from from green cutting skills were not what they are today. Uh, <laughs> so so we planted some seed, and um, it's funny. The other thing we learned about bicolor is that. Uh, for whatever reason, when you plant a bunch of seed, you would think that you would get on average half males, half females. Uh, for whatever reason, with vice bicolor, that's not the case. You get far more males than females. Um, wild. Yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of wild. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that why that is, but that's been a, that's been a topic on on the great breeders list, which is actually something we haven't talked about. But there's actually a uh, you know an email list of of great breeders. Um, is this a Google? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a Google group. Yes, I, that, I that, just that. got accepted this week. I've started oh, my inbox is full. Okay, so Bill, Bill, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh, see you on there. But yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm I'm going it's to keep my mouth shut for a while. There. I encourage anybody, anybody who's interested in great breeding, uh, to 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 seek out the great breeders list. I think it's actually called great breeders list uh, as a Google yeah. Google group, um, and, and join um, because all the private great breeders. A lot of them are on there and, you know, a lot of sharing of information, uh, you know, people have, you know, share cuttings, they share pollen, you know, sometimes if somebody has a vine and they want to do a cross and somebody else has it, they'll do the cross for them and send them the seed. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a great, I've, I've learned so much uh, from people on there, you know, Lon, I, uh, Lon Rambo, Cliff Ambers, Bill Shoemaker, Mark Hart, the, so many people. The depth of knowledge on there is really staggering honestly it's uh it's amazing i mean and not just about breeding which of course that's like crazy like for me because it's a whole new thing and it's i'm just like blown away by what the depth that you you know these these folks are at with it and i'm sure as you guys are i'm sure you're right there with it but when you you know see people who know what they're talking about talking to each other and digging into these things just like dizzying in a great way um but i mean it's beyond that like i got some really great winemaking tips too just like people who it's just a lot of minds who are you know thinking creatively about these these things and just like little nuggets will just pop out like something you've never considered doing you're just like yeah that's a, like an amazing solution to a problem that i just assumed was insolvable and all of a sudden now i have this brilliant idea of a, of a great you know a, I, I i don't know there's all kinds of stuff like there's mul- multiples of those already in just the first week so i'm i wouldn't even know where to begin to start yeah, listing them but yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible i yeah my I'm, I, I would agree with you and recommend anybody check it out as well. Um, and I, my question for you, wait, I did have a question for you. In relation to this, it's not really a question, but just an observation that, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you talk about these traits. And it's not until you get into the breeding that you realize how many levers there are to pull in, yes. you know, the, the genetic makeup of these creatures and, and what that can do for wine because i mean i i I think we're at a 
point where I feel like everybody's, you know, been fat and happy with vinifera for a while, but like, I mean, there are, the possibility exists that like we could exceed that quality, you know, like there's a oh, lot of stuff that we could do and, and it's not just flavor. I, you know, I mean, obviously I think we could exceed that quality by having the same quality, but that wouldn't need to be sprayed, which would be wonderful, you know, <laughs> like, um, and, but, and, but I mean, there are things like, you know, just specific pests that will really attack certain things and, and you can, you know, by observing what different the way different vines perform under say the the pressure of japanese beetle you begin to realize oh these vines aren't being eaten and maybe we should look at that vine and figure out what's going on with it and breed it in and see if you know see if we can get some kids from that vine that that have the same trait um and then you know the other the other thing i i just went through a whole panel at Fidenord about acclimation rate and deacclimation rate in vines and all these studies that had been done to show and just to, to break that down for anybody that doesn't know what that means, it's the, as the vine goes dormant, it's the speed at which it goes dormant and then comes out of dormancy. So it acclimate, or acclimates to winter dormancy and deacclimates from winter dormancy. And you can breed, and apparently Rupestris is one that has a very slow reacclimation or deacclimation rate. Um, so therefore, the, the benefit of that is as we have more of these unseasonable weather changes so like you like a sudden warm spell in march or february in a cold climate where it's you know 70 degrees for a couple weeks all of a sudden um the certain vines will start coming out of dormancy and then when the temperature drops again you kill that you kill all the new buds and so if you have something that isn't tricked by those couple weeks at 75 in in february and is a lot slower to come out of dormancy it'll it won't start pushing it'll wait longer and then you'll it'll be protected when that you know you get the frost on after that um so it's just these kind of things are just really fascinating um and anyway rupestris was that one that you know apparently has the slow deacclimation rate that i found out about but so yes. many yeah. different things so much in our native genetics here in north yeah, america to, to play with you know um yeah and so and vitus uh, i'd say vitus um Vitus longii is is definitely an earlier butter, um, but it is uh-huh. it's not as fast to deacclimate as, as riparia, at least in, in my oh, experience. Interesting. And then Vitus bicolor is is you know it's, it's buds out much later. Oh, okay. Right? So right. you know so one of the things that we're doing in our work is trying to combine you know the best some some of the best of those traits. Um, and Vitus, the Vitus bicolor itself is actually very cold hardy as well. The, you know the vine that we have that we're working with primarily. Um, that selection, uh, you know, survived the, you know, the, the minus 36 Fahrenheit, uh, uh, back in 2014, 2015, the polar vortex, you know, completely on, just completely unscathed. It didn't, it didn't care. You know, it's, right. it's like it didn't happen, which is just amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah. but you can imagine, right. So I've got Vitus longii and I've got Vitus bicolor and I've got a Vitus vinifera nursery, you know, filled with world-class you know, today's world-class wine grapes, right? Yeah. You know, and that, 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 ner- that vinifera nursery, I've got a baby. I've got a, I've got to make sure I keep it sprayed so that the yeah. vines stay, have continue to have leaves. <laughs> right. Um, and then I got to, you know, I bury the vines in the winter because I, uh-huh. I want to take a chance of them, you know, getting right. too cold and, and dying. So, cause I've only got like one or, you know, one or two of each of these, um, right. you know, I can't really have afford the space to have more than that. Yeah. So, you know, 
world-class vinifera, vitus longii, vitus bicolor. So you can imagine doing things like, you know, crossing a vinifera with vitus longii and crossing maybe a different vinifera with vitus bicolor, selecting over, over several years, selecting the best of each of those groups and then, and then crossing those two back with each other. Right. Right. So take that, that, that longii vinifera hybrid and the bicolor vinifera hybrid cross those together. So what you end up with something that's, you know, 50% vinifera, 25% longii, 25% bicolor in the end, and hopefully bringing in the genetics that you want with the cold hardiness and the upright growth and the, and the tannin and, and all these things that we're looking for. Um, so that's, that's, that's part of, part of the path, you know, that, that we're on. Yeah. Um, no, it's, do you guys geek out when, like, when you're driving around and try to find obscure vines? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I mean, I would. I'm just imagining, like, I'd start everywhere collecting. Everywhere we go. Yeah. Like, everywhere right, we go. Right. Somewhere um, we haven't been before, we pull into a parking lot. And right. I, the first thing I notice is what great vines are growing around the parking lot or in the yep. woods across the street. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Vitus you can't, can't help yourself, right? You can't. <laughs> is one that you, you, you can't help but see once you start working with it because, you know, as, as the name entails, it gets a name because of the appearance of the leaves. So, mm-hmm. so the top of the leaves are uh, this nice, dark, deep green, and the bottom is this powdery, uh, somewhere between gunmetal blue and battleship gray color. Huh. Um, and you can imagine, so you, you've seen, you know, you've seen like Concord, you've seen some of the, uh, uh, the Labrusca, they have that kind of powdery uh, tan yeah. underside the yeah. leaf. So imagine something that looks like that, but instead of tan, it's like a gunmetal blue color. Um, so, so when you see bicolor and especially if it's windy, I mean, you can't help it. I mean, it goes from, you know, these colors, you, you can't miss it, right? You drive by. Oh, it it. oh it's sort of like a silver maple in that sense. Like, yes. That's, that's mm-hmm. a good, that's a good, good. it's yeah. a good analogy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. Oh yeah, look at that! And, but you know, and I told you before how much I how much I dislike the 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 maple analogy for Vitus longiae that came out. But, <laughs> but Vitus longiae, its name was uh, official name was changed to to Vitus uh, acerifolia, which which okay. means maple leaf grape because uh, right. Somebody thought the leaves looked like <laughs> maple tree leaves. I continue oh, to call God. it Vitus longiae because I you know it was this the, you know discovery was credited to. Uh, a guy named uh, uh, last name Long, right? So right. Um, you know okay. Stephen Harriman Long, who was a uh, American explorer, right? Ex- explored the Great Plains and uh, had a had a crew of people that you know really risked their lives to explore the, our country and map our country, you know. And and the body right. had a botanist with them who you know cataloged things that they they saw and found and, and took cuttings and basically was responsible for certainly responsible for, for isolating the very vine that we have growing in the backyard, uh, you know, from, from the early 1800s. Um, right. So, you know, I, I, I like to continue to credit, you know, to credit the, the guy who discovered the grape. Yeah. And I'll just say, I'm looking at pictures and if, if, if it looks like a, you know, a maple leaf, then all grapevines look like a maple leaf. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not really, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for for sharing this time and this conversation. I can. can is there? I, I know this is. It's not like a, a traditional winery where you have things for people to like get in touch with you about or anything. But um, yep. you know, if you want to say your website or just, and if you do want people to, you know, get in touch with to ask questions or anything like that, is there a best way for that? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, people can find us on our website, you know, it's vineyardinnovations.com. Um, you can also go to, uh, Instagram at just at vineyard innovations. You can find us there. Um, you know, feel free to reach out through either of those means. Certainly anybody who's, uh, interested in breeding grapes and just wants to learn more about breeding grapes. Happy to talk with anybody there. Anybody who's interested in, uh, specifically about any of our varieties, which maybe we can take another minute to talk about if you have time still. Oh um, yeah. 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 And then, uh, that, that would be, that would be great too. And you know, and, and if there's, like you said, Adam, if there's that, you know, billionaire out there that wants to have a, a grape developed specifically for them, we're, we're open for business. Right. Call us. I, I call us. All don't email. So I think, um, maybe, maybe I'll just, you know, quickly, you know, comment on the, on the three varieties that we have. Please. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, we got so caught up in what you were working with. I, I yeah, I wanted yeah, to hear no, about No those. worries. Please yeah. So, so, you know, three varieties that, um, and, and right now kind of the way we're operating is that, you know, there, there are, there are some folks that we are working with, um, that have these varieties already on, you know, on trial. They, they have, um, you know, through cuttings from us, you know, starting, you know, a small number of vines, uh, to get some experience with them and you know, growing them and making wine. Great. Um, but also these, these grapes, um, will be available, um, uh, through, through Ombre grapevines, um, here in the next, in the next couple of years. Um, now they, they currently, we have not named them yet. So in, uh. in typical great breeder fashion, they have very catchy names <laughs> that consist of numbers, uh, and dashes and dots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I, I, this is the one thing. If you start reading that, anybody who does take our advice and start reading that grape, uh, the online grape breeder list, uh, the Google group, it, it yeah, does. Right. It, it's like, are, wait, are people talking about dates? Like seven five ninety two? Right. What is going on? Like, <laughs> like these just become famous numbers in a weird way because some of the stuff never gets named. It's funny, right? So, so you know, a, a lot of grape breeders. Um, you know, when they, when they have a selection, what they'll do is they'll give it a number and that number, de- you know, is designated to a location in their vineyard, you know, whether it's a, right. you know, a plot, a block and a row number and a panel number or something like that. You guys um, have like a we, map, right? That you've sort of mapped yeah, where you've planted yeah, everything yeah. and numbered it. Yeah. Well, we, we've got a map, but our, our nomenclature, actually, we base it on, on the year. So, so got for example, it. okay. First one I would, I would mention is is 05-04.3. And uh, so our nomenclature is the 05 is the year that the cross was made, right? So this, this one was the cross was made in 2005. The 04 is the number of the cross that was made in that year. So let's say if we did 50 crosses that year, this was number four on the list. Got it. And then the dot three, the three is the third uh, seedling that was selected. So typically what we'll do is we'll start with a seed lot. And so we would have started off with like an 05-04 seedling lot, right? And we may right. have, tw- you know, 20, 30 of those planted out in the vineyard. And we won't, we'll go through at least one full year, maybe two in, in, the, in the vineyard before we put the dot number at the end, right? So when Got we're it. down to like maybe, you know, less than 20, we'll, have, we'll put that number at the end. So Got at it. one point in time, we had you know, several of this from the seed lot, but this is the only one that made it all the way through that we kept. And it's 05043. Got it. Um, this particular one um, is a direct descendant of Pinot Noir. So oh, our wow. objective when we when we bred this grape 
was twofold. Um, one was to get the disease resistance and the cold hardiness that we were looking for, right? And that, that actually goes for anything that we're doing. Right. Uh, but the other one was to see if we could bring in improved, not, not even improved because that's saying like there's something wrong with Pinot Noir color, but to bring in more color interest in Pinot Noir. Um, because we both, you know, Holly and I both, we both really enjoy Pinot Noir. Um, but Pinot Noir color can go anywhere from fairly dark to, to very, very light. Um, mm-hmm. And, and one, thing that you'll, one thing that you'll typically hear from people who grow Pinot Noir and really people who grow really good Pinot Noir is that they will tell you that color doesn't matter in Pinot Noir. <laughs> and the reason they tell you that is because Pinot Noir generally doesn't have good color. And so I think, you know, they're kind of right. But in my mind, at the same time, if, you know, there was some super duper top secret way where they could make the same wine exactly the same as what they're making, but then also have really beautiful color every year, they'd mm-hmm. probably do it. <laughs> so, 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 and, and, and honestly, we, you know, you know, some people say color is not important in wine. I, I, I disagree. I, I really, I really enjoy looking at wine. You know, I, I enjoy the, the yeah. depth of color, the different hues that you can get from wine. So that was kind of, that was kind of the goal uh, with this variety. Nice. Okay. Um, and, and it's actually has turned out, um, turned out very well. Um, this, you know, this variety produces, produces wines with, with very deep color, um, uh, aromatics, very reminiscent of, of, of Pinot Noir, uh, uh, a lot of cherry, um, forest floor, uh, both red and black fruits, both, um, acidity is, is definitely on the higher side. Um, mm-hmm. this one, I think is the one I mentioned that has, you know, acidity will be over, you know, generally over 10 grams per liter. Um, this year when we harvested it, uh, Bricks was 25, just over 25. Uh, uh, titratable city was, was, um, uh, 11.9. Whoa. Right. Yeah. That's pH was 3.38. Wow. So, so what we found is two things. Um, actually when you, when you start working with a lot of the cold hardy hybrids, one thing you learn, uh, learn pretty quick is how to deal with, the you know, the combination of, of high acidity and, and, and pH that's higher than you would expect it to be at that acid level. Yeah. So typically what you want to do is you want, you want, you want to focus on the pH. Yeah. Um, so it's important to get the pH where you want it to be so that it ends up where you want it to be when you're done making the wine. Uh, right. And and generally um, with what I've seen with, with, with a lot of the hybrids is that the potassium that's present, that that's causing you that, that, that balance uh, that that different balance will actually take care of the the extra acid and it'll drop out um, right. during, during the course of fermentation and, and aging. Um, yeah, I mean three point three eight isn't terrible pH. Like after fermentation, you'd be kind of in a sweet spot, you know, mm-hmm. potentially. But what you find if you're at three point three eight with that high of a of a TA, you've actually got to drop it. You've got oh, to drop it down to three point yeah. three um, before you start. <laughs> so so actually, something has a eleven point nine. You've got to add acid. Which which seems really? crazy, but Wait, yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh, because just to, because just to get it even a little lower, because otherwise you'll get too high. Because the potassium level so high that your pH would end up higher than you wanted uh, when you're done. Right, right. So and 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 I say that especially because this is one where we do uh, full stem inclusion. So we right. bring in we're bringing in a lot of uh, additional uh, potassium in the stems. Okay. Um, but yeah, when when those when those wines are done, you know the, the tannin is uh, the tannin is tremendous. Uh, and ends up actually being, you know, very nice quality tannin, uh, very silky. Um, you do and you got get, the color you wanted too. You got the, yeah, got the, and, and actually there's there's you know color to burn. So if there's any loss, nice. you know, through the stem stem inclusion, it's 
you, you certainly don't notice it. Got it. So, um, right. you know, and that, that one is, you know, you know, not, not overly productive, which is, which is another, you know, another issue that you can run into with, with some hybrids. Um, when, when you do, when you do hybridization work, especially across species, right, you, you'll get um, what people refer to as hybrid vigor. Yeah. So you just get, sometimes you'll get these vines that just like grow like tank and we've got lots of these, right? They just grow like tanks and yeah. they just want to produce, 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 which becomes an issue from a quality standpoint. Um, but so, so we tend to tend to select, you know, you know, vines that, that don't aren't overly productive um, so that it's not uh, so that it wouldn't be a tremendous challenge in the vineyard to keep the, you know, to, to keep the crop level where you need it for, for high quality wine. Right. Um, so that one's, you know, really disease resistant, very cold hardy, that, that particular vine, even though it's, um, around 50%, uh, vinifera, uh-huh. um, is, was, was cold hardy, fully cold hardy to 36 minus 36 F wow. with no damage. So very cold hardy grape. Lovely. Um, we've got a, a white grape that's, um, 07011, so cross made in 2007. Um, that one, um, has a Riesling very prominent in its background. That's the one we talked about a little bit earlier that we make with um, long skin contact, uh, full malolactic fermentation. And we didn't talk about it, but you know, malolactic fermentation on the skins, which is something that I've I've started playing with, which I which I think is actually which I think is actually really cool. <laughs> I really like it because yeah. um, yeah, it kind of simplifies things a little bit too. But but it's it's very interesting. Um, uh, that one in, uh, this year. Um, Came in with a uh, with a bricks of twenty two and a half, uh, seven and a half grams per liter uh, TA, and three point four five pH. So numbers for that one were were great, you know, spot on. Yeah, for the that we wanted. Um, the fruit itself is nice. It's it has that uh, same trait that Riesling has when you know when the grapes are exposed to the sun, they develop a golden color, and the aromatics just really you know, the terpene type aromatics really start to develop. Um, so mm. really, really nice, really nice grape. Um, I, I did mention, but all these grapes too have been, you know, you know, grown on their own roots. So that, that's, that's something yeah, that we look for in, in all of our, you know, all of, in all, of, all of our hybrids. So good, uh, phylloxera resistance. Right. And then the last one, um, 13, 17, six. So the newest one cross made in 2013. Um, that one is a direct descendant of Petit Syrah. Oh. Um, and I would say of the, of the. Uh, hybrids that we have so far, it has the the largest clusters. Okay. Um, it is resistant to uh, twenty minus twenty F at least. We haven't t- it hasn't been tested colder than that. Um, I expect it to be hardier than that uh, based on what I know about its parents. Um, but we need we definitely need a you know a winter t- another winter test to know for sure. But certainly right. hardy enough uh, for 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 here, uh, except for uh, you know if we were to get it really really cold, we don't we don't know for sure. Um, this year, that one had a, a bricks of, of twenty, just over twenty-two, uh, six grams per liter TA and three point four eight pH. Beautiful, sounds lovely. Yeah, so also really good chemistry, um, aromatics in the wine. We haven't had as many, you know, as many trials with this in in terms of winemaking, but good. This one actually has good tannin in the fruit, um, and you can actually make it, you know, very, uh, you know, you know, quite tannic if you if you include stems. So. It wow. is very much like what you would expect with you know Syrah or Petit Syrah in terms of that flexibility, um, and just the the aromatics the aromatics in the fruit itself uh, a lot of black fruits, uh, mm. so 
looking forward to, to, to maybe doing some oak aging with this one at some point. Haven't done it yet, yeah. but I think it's suited for it. Sounds great. Yeah, so this is making me salivate. <laughs> so you know what's funny is that is that, is that the, the one thing that I, I, I honestly stress over more than anything right now, maybe that's a little of an exaggeration, but I stress over a lot is, is the naming process. <laughs> because, you know, we know these things as, as a number, right? Right, and right. Like, okay, now we're going to, we're going to, yeah, it does. Grapes oh, man. The world. We got to call it something. It does give it a personality and you want to make sure that it's like not a negative, you know, you don't want to skew it in a weird way. Yeah. I can imagine that would be tough. And you don't want to have a misstep. You don't want to be a Nova or one of these things. You don't want to have any like right. that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't right, do anything. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Oh God, you're hey, right. Hey, so so maybe maybe when I when I get to the point where I've got a I got a handful of possibilities for some of these, I'll I'll run a passion. We can. That would be awesome. Yeah, I because to me this would be a lot of fun. But then you know I don't have as much. I don't have the parents' uh, concern for their children that you guys have. But right. I would I would <laughs> love I love the naming process. But I go through the same thing. Well, I don't know. I'm. It's because I've had to name all these bottles of wine. Like I've you know like dozens of bottles you know every wine that we make is sort of different so i've had to come up with all these different names and i sort of i'm like it is a massive process like i mean there are times where wendy and i will be taking a road trip together and for two hours all we talk about is names and we still don't come up with wine you know we'll just be like what about this what about this no 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 that's funny uh well, and some of it, honestly, you, you you know, you think back and, and we know about the heritage of some of these varieties. And, you know, I mentioned something, you know, I, I mentioned about that uh, yeah. guy and, and about the, the, the man who, you know, did the work and, and the people who did the hard work to, to find that particular grape species. And some of these things, you know, you know, the history, you know, it was involved. And, you know, I, I really kind of lean towards finding a name that that honors you know, you know, some of these people or, or some of the background associated with these. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Here. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you could go with it, right? I mean, you could make it regional, yeah, exactly. you could make it personal, you could make it historic. Um, yeah. But it's got to be something people can pronounce. <laughs> right. There's that. <laughs> the basics. Yeah. Right. Well, feel free. Yeah. Feel free to use me. Feel free to use me. I'd be happy to, to, to at least just be a, you know, that third party. You get too caught up in your own head and just need uh, right. somebody else who's not, you know, hasn't thought about every other iteration of it um, to just hear it sort of as a blank slate. Please feel free. Um, that sounds like fun. Great. We'll take um, it <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a, a lot of yeah. fun, and it's really cool to hear what you're doing. And and I and yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing for its value to to all of us who are in wine. So thanks for that. Thanks for this conversation. Appreciate you're it. Welcome. It's our care, pleasure. Man. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you did and would like to support this podcast please do. There is a Patreon link in the show notes where you can subscribe with a monthly, very low subscription to add monetary support. Or please subscribe on your feed, whatever, wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe and follow this podcast so that you will automatically download it when each new episode comes out. That's one of the few metrics that we can measure to see the support and, and listenership of this. And Otherwise, if you're already listening, subscribe, support, whatever, uh, just a long-time listener, haven't done anything, please uh, do a review. If you would, any positive review with five stars and a nice word 
<laughs> is fantastic and helpful and uh, really improves the algorithmic performance of this podcast. So thank you so much.